UGA puts on a show in Atlanta. Biden declares war on half of the country, and Illinois has absolutely lost its mind. I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Shack. Hello and welcome back to Zach's Fact Shack on this amazing Labor Day weekend that I am recording. Today is actually Labor Day. You will get this tomorrow on Tuesday, but I'm going to go ahead and get this done for you today. It's going to be probably a shorter episode just because, hey, I want to celebrate Labor Day as well. And I'm not going to sit here in the studio this whole time on my own. It's it's just no fun. I think you'll understand. And, you know, I apologize if it's not as much as you want to hear, but, you know, we're going to cover a few things that I'm interested in, things that have gone on over the weekend that I'm extremely happy about. And I said extremely. I meant it. That's what I said, because I am. We're also going to talk about a few things that I am extremely nervous about, um, worried about. We're going to cover those things as well. But before we get going, don't forget to let your friends and family know about this podcast and the things that we're covering. I told you a long time ago that we cover a multitude of things, including politics, and sports. And today we're going to talk about some sports, particularly a team that I absolutely love, the Georgia Bulldogs. If you can't tell behind me, I hope that that was not, you know, a complete surprise to you that I absolutely love them. Now, on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, and comment. Ring that little notification bell so you don't miss a single episode. We come out on Tuesday and Thursday, sorry, Tuesday and Friday. You'll get your new episodes every week on those days. And then, of course, if you want to listen to just audio, I know a lot of people listen to the podcast while they're driving. Totally fine. That's what I do with other podcasts that I listen to. I listen to their audio version while I'm driving as well. It's the best place to be able to do it. And if that's the case, go ahead and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player, whether that's Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, whatever you want to do, you'll be able to find it there. And you can go to zacksfactcheck.com to be able to find all of the links to everywhere we are that you'll be able to get them there. You'll be able to send that to your friends and family. Again, that's zacksfactshack.com. Make sure you let them know where you found us. Now, before we go any further, I have to acknowledge that I am absolutely excited about what I saw over the weekend. So what happened? All right. As I'm playing this montage beside me, you'll be able to see some clips of the things that took place. Whenever people went to this game between number three, Georgia, and number 11, Oregon, we are waiting for the new rankings to come out on Tuesday, but currently that's what we, that's what they went and played each other as. It was a top 15 matchup on a neutral site in Atlanta, 70 miles from Athens and 2,500 miles from Oregon. Not even close to a a neutral site, but that's where they agreed to play for the Chick-fil-A kickoff bowl that happens every year. That's where they were at. Now, I want you to know that there were plenty of people who were picking Georgia to win in a blowout, but not what ended up actually happening. You see, we were looking for Georgia to come in and kind of figure things out slowly, kind of work their way around what was going on. You know, a lot... A lot of new pieces they had to kind of put in place and figure things out with. And let me tell you what, that is not what happened at all with the Georgia Bulldogs. Kirby Smart had them dialed up perfectly to start the game. It was 
amazing. Now, before you think that I am a homer, I will have you know that some good friends of mine who were absolutely Georgia haters, they are dyed in the wool, tech fans, Florida fans, Bama fans, all of them acknowledged what they saw on Saturday night's game or Saturday afternoon's game, and they were all just as floored as I was. One of them even said that they are playing close to a perfect game. And I would agree. Whenever you go seven drives with seven touchdowns in a row, not one field goal attempt, not one punt attempt, in those seven drives, you got the ball, and on all seven drives, you scored a touchdown. And then only in the fourth quarter when the game is over, the game cannot be lost at this point, and you have all the fourth and fifth string players in, only at that point did you end up punting. And then when the punter punted, let me look, I have these stats, I was mind blown. Georgia got used to having a player called uh, Jake Camarda for, uh, I think it was two, maybe three years that we had him. And man, the, the, the punt, he was, his punts were incredible. He averaged like 48 yards per punt. And it was just nuts. How in the world did you do that? And everybody knows that whenever you get a new punter in, you don't know what you're going to get. When you get a new kicker in, you don't know what you're going to get. It's kind of a head game for a lot of the kickers and punters in the world. You're just not sure what you're going to get. It could be great. It could be bad. We had no idea. But the one punt that our new punter, Thorson, was able to deliver on Saturday ended up being a 53-yard punt. He absolutely flipped the field, put them on the other end of the field, and it was just ridiculous. I was in love with our new punter from the start. It was amazing. But that's not all that took place. Let's let's talk about this game. People are concerned that Oregon just isn't going to be good, right? They're under a first-year head coach with former Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. He uh, went and took the job the day after the national championship victory by Georgia. He was in Oregon accepting the job as head coach there, uh, meeting the press, you know, doing the whole thing there, and good for him. Absolutely love that he's getting the recognition that he deserves for the work that he put in at Georgia. He's a great coach. Love him to death. Can't wait to see him succeed there in recruiting, in championships, the whole nine yards. Everything is going to be awesome for him. Just not yet. Because, again, he's a first-year head coach, right? He This is the first time he has ever coached a team on his own, right? He has been a coordinator, but never a head coach. And there's a difference there that Kirby had to figure out, right? His first year, Kirby Smart's first year at Georgia, he took a 10-win team and succeeded all the way up to being an 8-5 and team. He absolutely underperformed for the amount of talent that was on that team. And everyone was scared to death that it was going to be bad because they kept saying no one has ever taken uh, uh, over a team and uh, performed worse than the previous year and the previous coach and succeeded. And what did Kirby Smart do? The second year, he went to the national title and off of a busted coverage play, lost. He was literally one play away from winning his first national title in his second year. Dan Lanning is okay right now, guys. Don't get mad at him. 
It's okay. He simply ran into a juggernaut called Georgia. That's hard for anybody. The best coach in the world lost to Georgia last year. Don't be upset if you lose too. It's okay. Now, before anybody's like, oh, you're mighty puffed up. I'm not talking like that. What I'm saying is that the best coach in the world can lose and can lose to Georgia. So it's not like you're in bad company when you lose to Georgia, okay? That's all I'm saying. Now, when you look at what happened in this game, one of the things that Georgia fans have gotten used to over the years is simply this. We're going to run the ball. We're not going to throw it. That's not what Georgia does. We run the ball, and we throw it if we have to, and that's it. We never push the offense. We just march down the field. We impose our will on you, and you will like it. That has been Kirby's MO in the offense since day one. We have been that way. Last year was the closest I've seen our offense to not being that way. But in this one game, and anything can change, right? It can be a complete fluke right? That, that there's no guarantees in college football that this first game is going to mean absolutely anything to anyone even next week, right? That does not mean that what we saw on Saturday will be repeated next Saturday, though it likely will because we're playing Samford, an FCS school, I believe. I think they're an FCS school. Absolutely inferior competition that are coming in as a warm-up game, as a tune-up game though I don't know how you could tune up from this game. Georgia went in and played, as I said, as a friend of mine said, who was, hates Georgia and wants all things bad for Georgia, texted me in the middle of the game and said, I have never seen Georgia look this good. They are playing a perfect game. And then he simply said, after, Heis- after uh, uh, Stetson Bennett, um, did some sort of backyard ball run around and avoided like five different sacks and get the touchdown to Lad McConkey in the left corner of the end zone, who was completely uncovered. Nobody in the area at all. They forgot he was over there. That uh, right after that happened, my friend texts me and says, Heisman moment. Look, I understand that Stetson Bennett is a former walk-on. I understand that he doesn't have all the stars, doesn't have all the bling, doesn't have all the whatever. I get all that. That's totally fine. But what I don't want to hear from anyone, Georgia fans, Georgia haters, what I don't want to hear from anyone is you deriding Stetson Bennett anymore. He has more than earned that starting position, and he proved it last night that it was not a fluke that he won, that he carried the team on his back in the fourth quarter of the national championship game and won the game. He came back and showed you that that was not a fluke, that that is what Stetson Bennett intends to do every single game. What do I mean by carrying the team on his back? Well, he went 25 of 31 for 368 yards and two touchdowns. He had a QBR of 97.3. That is a range of zero to 100. He was the highest rated quarterback of the day on any team. He was next to perfect. He didn't throw a single bad play. 
a bad pass. He did not throw a single pick-worthy pass. No one had a chance to pick him off, and no one did pick him off. It wasn't like, oh, he threw scary passes, and somebody could have got it. He never did. Whenever he was pushed out of the pocket, he ran, looked, kept his eyes up looking, and he could not make a pass. He threw it away. He didn't take the sack. He didn't run with his legs. He didn't do anything that he didn't have to do. He simply said, fine, we'll do it on the next play. You're not going to be able to stop us every time. Fine, we'll throw it away. We'll play the next one. And what did he do? He played the next one. That is just mind-boggling. I want to look at this because, guys, on third down, Georgia was 9 of 10. They were perfect until that last drive with the fourth and fifth string players in. When Georgia had said, we're done, we're going to end the game. They went into what they called the Kirby death march, where it literally, here's the ball, here's the ball, here's the ball, here's the ball, and let them run it up the middle until somebody stops you. Finally, Oregon stopped them and then proceeded to march down the field, and Georgia bowed up at the last minute at the one-yard line. Now, I'm going to say this. Georgia's defense is not perfect. They are not currently up to snuff to last year's generational, if not best, defense in history. That's a hard thing to live up to, but they are not far off. They could literally be the number one defense again this year and still not be as good as last year. They have so much talent on there. The best defensive player from last year is there this year in the nose tackle of Jalen Carter. You should see some of the footage that they have of him. He made people look silly. Absolutely. How? He made grown men sit down. Jalen Carter is a, just a different type of player, and it's ridiculous to watch. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm entirely a homer on this, though I am. I will readily admit that I am absolutely a Georgia fan. I want Georgia to repeat. Right? I, I, I do. I want Georgia to repeat. And that's what I think could happen with this team because you do not have a... You do not have what Georgia showed yesterday. If they, if they hold that offense throughout the year, that level of discipline, that level of execution, that level of thinking and decisiveness, that level of decision-making, I don't know that there's a team that can stop them. Maybe, maybe we could do Alabama because Alabama is Alabama. Right? You, you never question Alabama's abilities. You never question Alabama's talent. Like last year was a rebuilding year and they still played in the national championship. That's Alabama, right? My concern with Alabama, for Alabama, and I'm not trying to be mean, I genuinely do question, and we're going to find that out, right? We're going to find these answers out really quickly. Um, Alabama already had the best offensive and defensive players last year. Those guys are back still going to be the best offensive and defensive players in the country. That's just the way it is. But they lost the best player they had on the offensive line. And they brought in a player from Vanderbilt. Maybe he's going to be good. I don't know. We're going to find out. But I would question whether that offensive line is going to get stronger or weaker. We'll find out eventually. Again, we have 12 games we have to play before we get to the SEC championship to find out what that is. 
I also think that they took a major step back at receiver. They don't have what appears at the moment to be a Jamison Williams or a John Mechie or a Waddle or anyone else of the you know last three teams that have just absolutely just showed off. So what we know right now is this. Alabama's defense is insane. The amount of talent, the amount of uh, knowledge, the amount of experience on this team is absolutely nutty. There's no way, there is no way that their defense is not going to be something special. It, 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 it will be for sure. Now, is there anybody in the West? Is there anybody on Alabama's schedule that can challenge them? I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Alabama does with Texas uh, this next weekend. Going to Texas to play, it's a big stadium. And Texas wants to beat Alabama bad, right? It would be a huge deal. I think it would be a huge upset. Kind of on the level of Oregon trying to beat Georgia. I don't know that it's possible. I think that the level of talent at Alabama is just so much beyond Texas that even if Alabama starts slow, even if Alabama struggles for a little bit, Alabama's going to close it down probably, probably in, in the, at the end of the game to, to finish it off. Cause that's what Alabama does, right? Alabama finishes games. That's what they do. That's what, that's why it was so remarkable when, um, at the end of the national championship game, when Georgia finally beat Alabama, that Saban went to Kirby and said, you whooped our backsides. I'll let you finish the sentence your own way. And that's really what happened. Alabama didn't finish for the first time in years, right? And Georgia did. But I don't expect that to be the norm for Alabama. I expect the norm is that Alabama is going to finish because it's Alabama and it's Nick Saban and you're going to finish the game, right? They're not going to say, oh, woe is us. We're going to lose because that's never going to happen. That is not in the DNA of Alabama. They are absolutely going to bow up and they're going to say, look, you want to challenge us? Well, you, good luck, buddy. And they're going to take it personally. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think you might have a little bit of a scare to begin with as Texas is coming in and they're pushing that envelope. But I don't think it's going to stay like that. I think Alabama's going to say, you know what? To you, I'm going to finish this game. And they will. But that aside, let's go back to Georgia. Anybody in the East that can beat Georgia? Well, I know some people who it's like, oh, it's Kentucky. I don't know. Not what I saw of Kentucky this week. Maybe they can get it together. Maybe they can figure it out. Knocking the rust off. Totally fine. I get that. But that team is not going to beat Georgia. And probably is going to have a few other losses along the way. Now, they do have to play Florida, which is going to be interesting. I can't wait to see if Anthony Richardson can miracle his way through Kentucky this next weekend or not. It's going to be fun. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. What about South Carolina? No. Nope. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry, Gamecock fans. That's just, that's not, that's not going to happen. Georgia is going to win that game probably pretty handily. Um, 
I have seen nothing from Spencer Rattler to make me think that he's any different than last year. And last year was not amazing. And he had far greater weapons around him last year than he does this year. That does not mean that South Carolina could not uh, cause trouble for Georgia, um, but Georgia will finish that game just like Alabama will finish Texas, in my opinion. Well, what about Tennessee? That's the question, right? That is the question. I think that Tennessee's gimmicky offense is probably the most dangerous simply because they're basically the passing offense version of a triple offense is what it seems like in that you have to plan so specifically for their offense. It's so different than the rest of the uh, civilized world that you just have to plan things differently. You have to take a little extra time to figure that out. Um, The good thing is that Tennessee is coming to Georgia. And what we know about Georgia is if they think there is a threat to their team, they will show up in a way that is deafening and horrifying for all other opponents. Um, Arkansas found that out. It was a noon kickoff. Noon kickoff, guys. And they showed up and deafened the, the team. They deafened Arkansas. Arkansas had something like five false starts in a row. It was ridiculous. You can't plan for that kind of environment Um And whenever everything about your offense is entirely on rhythm, everything about it has to be in perfect sync and perfect rhythm. That crowd could play a huge role in stopping the unstoppable offense of Tennessee. I did not see a much, much improvement on the defense for Tennessee in their one game. Again, this is one game. All of this is from one game. Georgia could absolutely lay an egg next week and look absolutely horrible. Tennessee could become the number one team in the East. There is so many things that could take place from week one to week two. All of that is fully acknowledged and fully recognized. But this, I think, is a little bit different in as much as Georgia's talent level is just so much above everyone else in the East and everyone in the West except. Bama, we'll have to wait and see on A&M. They looked a little sketchy to me. Um, Again, could be kind of just getting the cobwebs knocked out, but you don't know. You never know until it happens, until you see it, until you watch it. Just have to wait and find out. But here's what I am excited about. I have never seen as an aggressive offense as Georgia had in this game. In fact, this game ended up having uh, a ridiculous score of 49 to 3. Again, I told you that the defense bowed up at the last minute on the one yard line and they stopped the touchdown attempt by uh, the Ducks to re- preserve that. They have still, they have not given up a single touchdown this year. Uh, that's how they started out uh, last year and they want to keep it that way. Uh, let's see if they can. They definitely were a bend but don't break kind of offense or defense this 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 game, uh, and that they gave up uh, 313 yards and 21 first downs. They were moving down the field. I don't think there's anything wrong with Oregon's offense. I think that they ran into an incredible defense that just has to figue a few things out. We'll have to wait and see if they can figure that out in time before 
another big game that could be dangerous. Um, it would, it will not surprise me for Georgia to go 12 and 0 this year. We'll have to wait and see again. Anything can happen. Injuries, the injury bug can get you right. Uh, we understand that that's what happened to Alabama last year and it hurt them. It hurt them a, a great deal. Georgia had all of their injuries out at the front uh, and started getting people back by the end of the year. So they were somewhat fresher. Um, but they still had to work through that. Alabama had to work through it. And ultimately, it's hard to change your game plan in the middle of a game when you lose your best wide receiver. I get that. Totally understand that. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't finish. That's that's the way it is. What I don't ever wish or ask for uh, any injuries to happen ever. You know, these are kids. We want these kids to have fun and not have any injuries. But it is a part of the game. It's a part of what's going on. Now, as far as time of possession, it was actually pretty even in that the, Georgia had it for 31 minutes. They had it for 20, almost 29 minutes. Now, I know that we had two turnovers, and that honestly was the difference maker because, again, we weren't really stopping them. They kept moving down the field. They either ran out of time or they got an interception that's pretty much how their drives finished for the most part. I believe, I can look this up here just a second. I believe they ended up punting four times. but Because Bo Nix actually punted once. That was fun. Um, but they punted four times in the entire game. Um, so we, 21 first downs and only four punts. That's... That's a little questioning. Uh, you 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 don't want to see that. Like you want it to be um, a more dominant performance by Georgia's defense. But hey, I'm not going to nitpick this. To to take a number eleven team. I don't know where they're going to end up by the end of the year. They could be a terrible team by the end of the year. I don't think they will be. But it is a Pac-12 team, and we don't. And it's first year head coach, first year uh, coaching staff. You got to give them some grace. But I think that it's going to be interesting to watch Georgia this year. I think you're going to see a lot of stuff that you have not seen from Georgia, uh, at least in a long time, if not ever. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Now we get to the stuff. I'm going to, like I said, I want this to be a quicker episode than normal. So I'm going to get to this stuff pretty, pretty quickly. And that is simply this. I'm going to put up a photo that I want you to see. Um, if you remember my last episode, I was talking about how Biden had declared war on half the country and that he was othering uh, a vast majority of Americans simply because they did not vote for him and they do not agree with his policies. And I see that, I see that as a problem, a very big problem. And now I, I didn't even know. I was not even aware that there was going to be a speech the, the night that I recorded that podcast. And so when this when that took place and I saw the footage coming out of that and the absolute terror that they had tried to incite. I mean, look at this picture that I have up here. If you're if you're not uh, watching, I'll, I'll describe it to you. In the background, you have the most ominous red lights on this building that you can think of. Like, I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but it looks like something that Stalin or Hitler or the First Order in Star Wars or the Galactic Empire would do as a backdrop 
not something that the president of the United States would do. Uh, this was clearly a political campaign stop. Uh, and yet they put two military members, I believe Marines, stationed on either side of Trump, uh, Biden uh, at the doors behind him, thus showing that the military is behind him. Now, I'm not claiming that the military is. I'm not claiming anything in any way. I'm simply talking about the imagery of this. What does this imply? And it implies that the military is behind him. The military might of the United States is with Biden. Whatever Biden says, they will do. It is absolutely an intimidation tactic for sure. Then you have above him the pale, sickly light coming out of the top of the building and just kind of just... it's kind of a big brother eyeball feeling kind of thing. Like he's like, I'm always watching you. And this is a sanctioned photo from the event. This is not Photoshopped. This is not edited. This is the photo. And then in the foreground, you have President Biden screaming with his fist in the air, screaming at America, lecturing us by for not voting for him, for not agreeing with him on everything. Here's the thing. I understand that you might think that the people who disagree with you are bad people, but Honestly, most of them aren't. Most of them are not bad people. Just like most people that are liberal kind of lean more to the left, they're not bad people. I disagree with them on almost everything politically, but they're not bad people. They simply see the world in a different way, and that's fine. But you've got to acknowledge that people see the world in a different way, and people are going to say, well, January 6th, January 6th. Okay, cool. 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 Do you see me defending January 6th? Have I ever said anything that would make you think that I was going that I was defending it? You have not, because I haven't and I won't. I will tell you this: there were two sides to that day. You had one side of the the Capitol that absolutely was a riot. Those people should be arrested. They should be in jail. They should be punished for their inciting to violence and their acts of violence. But on the other side, literally the other side of the building had no idea what was going on on the other side of their building. And when the cops opened the door and waved them in, they simply walked in unaware of anything going on because the building is huge and they had no idea what was happening. Those people, I'm sorry, are not your enemies. Those people are people who were victims of the circumstances that they were in and were unaware of what was going on. Do I think that picking up arms and attacking the government is a good idea? Nope, I don't. But here's what I do know. That a president that makes that kind of imagery, that puts up that kind of uh, intimidation to half the country that he is the president of, that right there is desperately trying to incite violence. That right there is desperately trying to make people attack the government. Because what they're doing is making people desperate. And I talked about it this last, this last time. People who are desperate make bad choices. And I think that means in two different things. One, what they're trying to do is make Americans desperate, particularly conservative Americans, right-leaning Americans, people who voted for Trump just because they didn't want to have the leftist policies pushed onto them, they 
are absolutely scared to death and are going to be made desperate by this man, by what President Biden has done. They're going to be made desperate. And desperate people generally act out in violence, in anger, in haste, in rage. And it's not going to be pretty. And that's going to be used as reason to attack everyone else. That's what this is. That is desperately trying to incite violence without saying it. And two, whenever I say that desperate people make bad choices, I think Biden is desperate and I think this shows that he's desperate. I think he knows that he's in trouble. I think he knows that the left is in trouble because the absolute insanity that was this speech that was the optics of this, because let's face it, nobody watched the speech. Nobody cares what Biden actually ends up saying because most of the time you don't know what he said when you're sitting there watching it. You're like, you, old man with dementia said, what? You have no idea what he said. Even if you're a supporter of him, you have no idea what he said. And now he's walking back half of what he said because he knows it's not playing well. And I think they did it because they're desperate. They know they're in trouble in the fall. They know that they're in trouble. And I think this was a terrible misstep. And I think, again, like I said, desperate people make bad choices. And I think that is what happened here. But I am anxious to find out what's going to happen next because I think that the, 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 the president, the most powerful man in the nation, is absolutely trying to incite violence with these statements with this rhetoric and he is heating up the temperature in the room and it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And I'm not calling for violence. I'm just simply predicting it. I think the people are going to respond and it's going to be bad. And I am praying that that does not happen because that's not going to end well for anybody. Go back and listen to his own statements. He said, hey, look, if you have an AR-15, guess what? You're going to need more because we're just going to get F-15s. You cannot tell me that he was not threatening to blow people up, to blow up Americans. He is not beyond that. He's absolutely going to do that. He is completely willing to do it. I would not test him. This is not time to rebel. It's not time to revolt. It's not time to do that. You still have actions that you can follow, such as voting, running for office yourself, being a vocal person like I'm doing right now, getting the voice, the message out there and letting people know what's going on. This is not time. The, the left acts in violence, not the right, not conservatives. I don't care about Republicans. The conservative, conservative ideology. The parties don't mean anything. They'll follow either, they'll follow any ideology that they want to get power. The conservative thought process does not involve violence. The left process does. Not liberals. There's people who are kind of in the middle. They kind of want conservatism, but they kind of want a little bit of the leftists. Those people, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about left. The leftist ideology, the socialistic ideology calls for violence. And we've got to not let them win by giving them what they want. That's all I have to say. 
Do not let them win by giving them what they want and giving them that violence. This is not the way. Instead, become active and political, right? Vote, run for office, get the message out. That's what you should do because we still have a voice there. It's not been silenced yet. It may get silenced, but not yet. And that means it's time for you to speak up and speak out. Now, the last thing I'm going to cover today, and this episode's getting longer, um, is that there has been a new bill passed in Illinois that is simply called the Safe T, S-A-F-E-T Act. And what it is, it eliminates cash bail but it has a lot of law enforcement concerns. So this is ABC7, which I believe is out of Chicago. Do not quote me. I'm not sure on that. But they simply state this. Let me, let me read to you their, their, their uh, article. A controversial criminal justice reform law is back in the spotlight as a suburban sheriff and prosecutor are raising concerns about its impact. The law that will eliminate cash bail as of January 1st, 2023, and also restrict who can be arrested. The reforms under the Safety Act that eliminate cash bail will open the doors to freedom for many people currently locked up who can't make bail. But Grundy County Sheriff Ken Briley's, Briley is raising concerns about the law uh, because the law will ban arrest for people accused of certain misdemeanors. He cited trespassing as an example. Quote, today I can arrest him if you sign a complaint for trespassing, Briley said. January 1st, I'm not going to be able to do that. The law says I have to write him a ticket and leave. That is dangerous because there are people that the only way you can get them arrested is because they are trespassing. Think of a stalker, right? Think of a um, peeping Tom, right? A lot of the times, the only way you can get them arrested is on trespassing. That's not possible anymore. The police cannot even detain them. I see a lot of problems there. Sheriff Brawley worries about the possible ramifications in his community. Quote, and if we can't arrest them and solve people's problems, we don't want people to take matters into their own hands, Brawley said. And I can just imagine a husband, a father, seeing this man outside their house, their window, looking into their girl's bedroom or their wife's bedroom or whatever, and knowing that the cops can't do a thing, how long do you think that's going to last? I don't think that person's going to live very long. I think they're going to take matters into their own hands rather quickly. That's what you're doing here with this law is you are making people desperate again. Remember, I'm talking that desperation causes people to make bad choices. And the left seems to be trying to make everybody desperate. This is under the idea of egalitarianism and equality and equity and all of the isms that you can want, BLM, uh, LGBTQ, all of the protected statuses are in this bill in some way or another. At least that's how it's pushed. In that the idea that criminal justice systems are harsher on black and minority criminals. I do not know. I make no claim to that. I'm simply telling you that's what is driving this. It is a heart trying to help. 
Yet I think the unintended consequences will be so grave that there is no help in this. But reform advocates say keeping people locked up simply because they cannot afford bail is wrong. I would agree. I would say get rid of bail altogether. In other words, you stay in there until you get heard by the court. That's my opinion. Now, there are ramifications to that that might not be so good either, and somebody who is much smarter than me would need to talk about it. Quote, that's just inequitable that some people get to be free because they have money and other people have to remain incarcerated, which has all kinds of terrible consequences for people's ability to work, for their housing, their whole families suffer, said Ben Ruddle, ACLU of Illinois. They cite what happened to Sandra Bland, who hanged herself in a Texas jail while unable to post bail after a traffic stop as an example of why bail form is so important. The new law gives judges the, still gives judges the discretion to keep suspects they deem dangerous locked up without bail. But many in law enforcement are concerned too many people should be behind bars, won't be after January 1st. Here's the thing. So the, the, the peeping Tom the stalker, the would-be rapist, the would-be kidnapper, the myriad of other crimes. In fact, let me, let me put up this graphic and I'll read off to you what crimes are no longer arrestable. Um, these would be what they're called non-detainable offenses after the Safety Act goes into effect, meaning that criminals would be allowed to be charged and released, meaning that they don't even have to be arrested. They don't have to be detained. They can be given a ticket, and that's it. Now, there may be some extra little bits in there that, we're, that I'm not aware of, and that's fine. Let me know if you find them out. But this is disturbing, in my opinion. Of these, this would be the crimes no longer arrestable, no longer bailable, if that makes sense. Second-degree murder, drug-induced homicide, arson, aggravated battery, kidnapping, burglary, robbery, intimidation, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing and eluding, drug offenses, threatening a public official. All of these things are no longer, they're no longer able to be arrested on. I don't know. Does any, is there any sanity left in Illinois? I feel like half that state is being drug around by Chicago and its suburbs. And the rest of it's like, please make it stop. It's kind of like California. Half the state's like, dude, we don't want to be here either. That's why they're all leaving. If you do leave, though, if you leave California, you leave Illinois, please don't vote like you did there. Please think about it before you start voting blue there in one of the states you go. Just think about it. The, the, the places you're going to, you went to for a reason. People like living there. They like the low taxes. They like the relative ease of life. They really would prefer you not to make it difficult like you did in California and Illinois and New York. That's all I'm saying. Just think about how you're voting. Let's not put the same people in. That's all I'm saying. You figure it out from there. I don't have a whole lot left to say on this. I think it's just absolute insanity. I don't understand how this, anybody could think this is a good idea, how anybody thinks this is a wise choice. I understand where it's coming from. I understand that people want to be egalitarian. They want to be equal. They want to, they want to have equity 
for people. I get that. I understand. I understand you're coming from a good place and a good heart, but no, this is just, just no, you're going to cause so many more crimes, deaths, even injuries is going to get very bad, very quickly because there's no more penalties for committing these heinous acts. So why would you worry about it? It's just absolutely ridiculous. And guys, that is the show. I told you it was going to be a little shorter, but not by much. Uh, We're right back there into the average everyday episode, apparently. Um, But Guys, I wanted to thank you again for coming back day after day, week after week, and listening to this, watching this, letting people know, don't stop doing that. Don't stop doing that. Let people know, because I want the world to know what you're finding here and the information you're finding here, because I want people to get the truth. But until next time, I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Check. We'll see you next time.